1: 1,700 hours Central African time. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa and on 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. My name is Spumelelizondi and I'm with Asanda Mattaunyane, with Sane Matebula and Nedo Your top stories. Hundreds of supporters gather outside the Harare Magistrate Court today for Pastor Ivan Marire's appearance. Head of Burundi members of the East African Community Parliament assassinated in Buchumbura. In economics, Ghana's annual consumer price inflation falls to 18.4% in June. In sports, Ladies European Tours a chief executive hits out at top golfers over their decision not to play in Brazil. Asana Matanyana has your news.
2: Thank you, Spumelele. Good afternoon. Hafsa Mosi, the head of Burundi members of the East African Community Parliament, has been killed by unknown armed men in the capital, Bujumbura, this morning. Before joining the political arena in Burundi, Hafsa was a journalist working for Radio Burundi in the capital city. In 1994, she joined the Kiswahili service of Channel Africa here in Johannesburg. She later worked for the eBBC's Kiswahili service in London before she returned home to be appointed Burundi's Minister of Information. The Government of Canada and that of the Democratic Republic of Congo have reached an agreement to collaborate in improving children's conditions in the DRC. Both countries have launched a capacity-building project targeting people who deal with children's rights and protection. According to Jeanette Martins, the Ambassador of Canada in the DRC, the project is under the coordination of the International Bureau for Children's Rights. It aims to strengthen children-related service providers so that they can get quality service. Stop Hunger South Africa says 23 million primary school children in Africa go to school hungry, with 3 million living in South Africa. Chief patron Grassa Michelle on Wednesday joined thousands of volunteers to pack meals for the hungry in Cape Town as part of Mandela Month celebrations. Michelle says giving to the needy is a lifelong venture.
3: I have witnessed hundreds and thousands of times people who die of hunger, people who cannot grow, children who cannot grow because of hunger. In this continent of ours, 43% of kids are stunted, which means they will never reach their full potential because they didn't have the right food and the right nutrients. This is the reality which moves me to support this initiative.
2: Meanwhile, CEO of the South African Broadcasting Corporation's foundation, Iris Cupido, says the organization is taking part in the initiative as a sponsor and media partner.
4: SABC's involvement today is to try and break the record for stop hunger now, which is to pack 10 million packs of food over the next week. It's important for us to be involved because we are born in Madiba's era. And this is Mandela Month, and the SABC's theme this month is Be More Madiba. And how? what better way to be more Madiba than to pack meals for children that was so close to his heart.
2: South Africa will be hosting an HIV-AIDS conference for the second time next week. The country's Department of Health is urging people living with HIV-AIDS to take free treatment offered in government hospitals. Popo Maja, head of communications at the Department of Health, says that the percentage of people living with HIV-AIDS has dropped to 63%.
3: Today we are ready to tell the world that because we have responded so positively uh, to providing people um, uh, with treatment, people who are HIV positive with treatment we have increased the life of South Africans.
2: For Channel Africa News, I'm Asanda Madzaunyani.
0: Africa Digest. You're listening to Africa Digest.
1: 1705 Central African Time. The International Committee of the Red Cross ICRC remains extremely concerned about the humanitarian situation after several days of armed clashes in Juba, South Sudan. Heavy rains have also made the situation even more dire for those displaced. Meanwhile, it is reported that a ceasefire appears to be a holding in the country's capital, Juba, after four days of heavy fighting between rival forces which left hundreds of people dead. Elaborating on the humanitarian situation is ICRC's head of delegation in South Sudan, Jurg Eglin.
5: First they talk about Juba, Juba city Juba town, that was affected by these heavy fighting since last Friday night, which really had a huge effect on the civilian population across the town. Things have been a bit more calm today and yesterday. There was a a kind of a little return to kind of normality. People start to move around again. People try to to find their homes again after thousands and thousands of people were displaced by this fighting. There was also a lot of people were killed. People were injured. And now we also have the, the problem of many dead bodies still lying in some of the streets and lying in some of the locations where fighting took place.
0: Now, you say the situation has improved a little bit. I understand that humanitarian agencies were struggling to access people. Are aid agencies managing to access people and provide them with aid?
5: During the fighting over the weekend, uh, no movement was possible, so no aid reached people. We managed very timidly a bit on Saturday to supply one hospital with medical supplies. And then on Monday, we could start reaching out to some more medical structures with more supplies and some body bags, and then also we started to supply some food to these uh, displaced camps in town, the church compound and other institutions where people were seeking shelter. That started a bit from Monday, very small, and then it increased uh, Tuesday, and today things have a bit more substance and a bit larger in terms uh, of this humanitarian response. And here I'm speaking from from our perspective of the ITRC. I think we're among the first to be able to move out under the emblem of the Red Cross.
0: Has the weather condition improved, Mr. Iglenai? I understand that heavy rains have also been hampering um, aid agencies from reaching out to people who need aid and assistance. Uh,
5: Yeah, this is twofold. The rain here in Juba, the rain is even. That comes uh, with an issue of uh, threats of disease and the looming cholera, especially currently there's not enough water, water supply was interrupted and uh, the whole hygiene issue uh, around water, lack of water and the rain actually amplifying these uh, public health issues are of big concern. Your question is a bit more to the rest of the country, the rainy season uh, makes, Life very difficult for in the first place for everybody just a few infrastructure roads become very impossible and that also makes it more difficult for people like us to deliver humanitarian aid to other parts of the country
1: There is Yurk Eglin, who is the head of delegation for the international committee of the Red Cross in South Sudan talking to Jane Rabotada
6: (laughs) Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana, reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown.
8: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi,
6: From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa.
0: in, in Lesotho.
9: Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwai Konyo in Nairobi.
6: Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: 1709 Central African Time. The head of the Burundi members of the East African Community Parliament, Hafsa Mosi, was assassinated in Bujumbura this morning. Before joining the political arena in Burundi, Hafsa was a journalist working for Radio Burundi in the capital, Bujumbura. In 1994, she joined the Giswahili Service of Channel Africa here in Johannesburg. She later worked for the BBC's Giswahili Service in London before returning home to be appointed as Burundi's Minister of of information. For more on this latest killing of a high-profile Burundian, we earlier spoke to our correspondent in Bujumbura, Penat Panko Kiera.
6: Yes,
10: uh, as you said, the former journalist, who, who was now a member of the East African Parliament, has been killed in the morning of today. Uh, she was in Bujumbura, and uh, she was travelling, according to information from the police. She was traveling from home and a car kicked her car as she was driving and when she stood up and went off to check what was going on she was shot dead Uh, she was killed by two firearms and she died as she was taken to hospital
0: who are the suspected people for carrying out this particular attack and really what could be the reason
10: until now it's really difficult to know the reason behind the assassination because Even the police spokesman hasn't yet commented on the death, except that she gave a a tweet informing the public that this member of the East African community has been killed. They're doing investigations because the killers escaped the area of the incident and until now, no more details about uh, this assassination.
0: Tell us a little bit more about uh, Ms Morsi. We know that she's a woman who wore many hats. uh, She was the Minister of Information, uh, Minister of East African Community Affairs and right now she was also the chairperson of the Burundi chapter of the East African Legislative Assembly. Tell us a little bit more about her. Uh,
10: Hafsa Mosi really was uh, a journalist at the National Radio in Burundi. She joined the BBC in the Saudi services and she worked for Channel Africa. And from 2005, following the peace negotiations in Burundi, Hafsa Mosi became the Minister for Information, later on becoming the East African Minister of Burundi before joining the East African Legislative Assembly in 2010 and until now she was the head of the East African Members of Parliament on Burundi's side. Mm-hmm. Hafsa Samosi was really known for hard-working, if I can say that, because when in Burundi she has been meeting several key groups in the objective of strengthening Burundi participation in the East African community. So if I try to speak to several people in the capital, it's really a deep regret. Everyone is regretting journalists, ordinary people, saying that this woman, nobody knows why she has been killed. She has no problem with anybody. So it's really, really a, a, a deep regret in Butumbura.
1: That is Channel Africa's Bernard Bankukira joining us from Butumbura, And he was talking to economy Miso earlier today. We stay with the story of the killing of the head of the Burundi members of the East African Community Parliament, Hafsa Morsi, earlier today in Bujumbura. As you've heard, she previously worked as a journalist for the Kiswahili service of Channel Africa here in Johannesburg. This is how the current head of the Kiswahili service, Mike Ararenk, remembers Hafsa.
9: She had a very nice broadcasting voice and very eloquent, especially in Kiswahili and French languages. I remember quite well as I was appointed together with her as producers for the Channel Africa Kiswahili Service way back in 1994, but unfortunately on my side, I could not make it because of visa issues by that time. But before joining Channel Africa, I worked with her as correspondence for the BBC, Voice of America and Decho Vela Kiswahili Service, reporting from our countries that is Burundi and Uganda
0: now what are your fondest memories of her I mean you speak of her very um, highly um, in terms of her professionalism but um, what are some of your fondest memories of her in terms of having you know been in the same space with her
9: I will say that she was quite a humble person down to earth and a loving person she told me about herself and her journey in broadcasting And the challenges, but she was happy to have worked for Channel Africa, especially the Kiswahili service. And also she used to contribute for the French service. And uh, she says that Channel Africa exposed her internationally. She told me about her ambitions and also touched on her family. She had lost the husband before she joined Channel Africa, and she was a single mother. Even when she went to London, BBC, she used to get in touch with me.
0: Now, Mr. Arareng, you speak of her as somebody who had spoken to you, I mean, a while back about some of the challenges that one faces Mm -hmm. in the field, you know, as a journalist. And in Africa at this time, where we're seeing a lot of atrocities taking place, and uh, there's been almost such a sort of a clampdown, you know, on uh, free speech, and uh, particularly the journalism fraternity has really borne the brunt of some of these atrocities that are taking place around the continent, and uh, some of the journalists have been at the front line of those atrocities that are taking place. Now, With this particular situation, we don't know the details as it stands at this moment with Mm. regards to this attack. But do you think that those challenges that she spoke of could have been some of the reasons behind this particular attack? Well, where
9: she comes from, the country actually is uh, in a deep, deep uh, problem. This is uh, in relation to the political turmoil which is taking place in uh, Burundi. Mm. But uh, I can say that uh, she was actually one of the people who would like to see peace in that country. But uh, unfortunately, it never worked out because she was supposed to have actually gone to Arusha to attend the second round of the peace talks, which is currently supposed to take place. She's the type of person, because I was talking to our correspondent this morning, and I asked our correspondent, why was she not provided with security? And uh, the correspondent said that she was a kind of person who felt that she had no enemies Mm. in the society. That's why she managed to come out of the gate of her residence. But unfortunately, she met two people who actually shot her. But uh, she's a kind of person, she was very humble. I remember the way even how she talked. She used to talk like a mother, you know, somebody who actually is thinking about peace and also about the development in the country. But unfortunately, she is now dead.
0: In closing, uh, your feelings around this attack, Mr. Ararenga. you know, as an African journalist yourself.
9: Yeah, you know, it's so sad because the other day it was Lisuthu when one journalist, in fact, he was an editor of a newspaper. He was shot. It appears now that we journalists, we are facing a lot of risks when we are out there because we want to tell the truth, but we become the enemies of the society. But it's really unfortunately that at this particular moment, modern times, these mm. things should not happen. It's
1: 1717 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You can find us on Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. It's info at dot and email. My name is Spumele Lezondi with you until 1800 hours Central African time. Now, hundreds of supporters gathered outside the Harare Magistrate Court today for Pasta, even Mawarire's appearance. Marire is the man behind today's call for a stairway in Zimbabwe. He was arrested and charged for inciting public violence ahead of today's protest after handing himself at to the Central Police Station in Harare yesterday. For more on this, we joined on the line from Harare by our correspondent Simon Michema. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest, Simon. Simon, hello. Simon Machema are you with us? All right, it doesn't appear that we still have Simon Muchemwa, who is our correspondent in Harare in Zimbabwe. He is to update us on the court appearance of Pastor Evan Marire. We are told that hundreds of supporters gathered outside the courtroom in Harare, outside the Harare Magistrate Court today for Pastor Evan Marire's appearance. Simon seems to be back on the line. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest, Simon. Yeah,
5: thank you so
1: much. All right, Simon, could you just tell us what happened outside? Let's start outside court now with the supporters.
11: As uh, I'm speaking to you right now, hundreds of supporters of Ivan Mawarire, a who was literally unknown, uh, but just started this campaign against Robert Mugabe using the Zimbabwean flag, calling for Robert Mugabe to resign and fix the economy which is early at the moment. He is in custody um, and is facing subversive uh, charges. uh, uh, In other words, he is now facing treason. Initially, they said that he was facing uh, an offense that is called inciting violence in Zimbabwe, but that offense was was changed. And his lawyer, Harrison Nkomo, confirmed that uh, the state or the government has actually changed the offense or the charge. And that is, I think, I'm a number of people who were uh, um, waiting outside uh, for good news that maybe Pastor Mawarire will be released and there uh, be let free to go home because they believe Mawarire has not committed an offense. So as I'm sitting here right now, it's dark, uh, almost getting dark in Zimbabwe. But uh, hundreds of Zimbabweans have gathered outside the court uh, building and they say they would not leave the building until they are either themselves arrested as well and join or Mawarire is arrested. So the mood is stronger. Uh, it is tense, and a number of people are saying they are going to join in the fight for Mawarire to be released.
1: So, if we get you correctly, you're saying that charges have been changed um, to treason now?
11: Yes, charges have been changed to subvert, subverting. A constitutional government, and in Zimbabwe that means prison And if you are seeking prison in Zimbabwe, it means uh, either a death sentence or a life imprisonment or a sentence of more than 20 years in, in prison. So, Mawari is convicted is in Zimbabwe, and uh, the are quite a number of people in Zimbabwe who have faced similar charges like Sangrai, uh, modern Sangrai, the MGP leader. Um, we are also taking of Daniel Benga, a uh, leader at the New um Bledam- Gabamini We are also taking a uh, Joshua Nkomo Bilet, we also the similar charges. But in following the ushering in of the new constitution in 2013, that constitution now says if someone is facing treason, that person must face that, And this is the most dangerous thing now that is happening now. But the lawyer now complains. While the submissions were being made in court, Uh, just around 3 p.m. today, uh, that uh, the state just decided to change the charges, abruptly without even giving warning to the defense. they even telling Mawari that these are the charges that we are facing. Because when he was arrested, he went to the police and he went to court when he was coming to go there. He we went in the custody of his lawyer, Harrison in coma, and they were told that he would be facing charges of uh, inciting violence. They went to his home, they said, they went to his they said, they, they were looking for firearms, uh, police helmet and police uniforms. And uh, that they did not find until they incarcerated him in yesterday. But now they are saying there was no material to prove that uh, Mawari is actually. The constitutional
1: government, which is us the government. All right. Um, did he appear in court today? Because there have been conflicting reports whether he was going to or whether he was going to appear only tomorrow. So, did he actually appear in court today?
11: Mawarie indeed appeared in court today. What happened is that uh, initially, when Mawarie uh, came to court, he came in the presence of quite a number of uh, he, said he was surrounding him but uh, before they got into the court uh, they realized that hundreds of uh, supporters were gathered outside the court and they decided to take him away uh, from the court because they said that maybe uh, the situation or the environment was a bit volatile and maybe the people just him away and ran away with him and they took the away after about uh, two hours they brought him back to the court and they took him through the door and they took him inside, and that is when he got in court uh, around 3 p.m. this afternoon, and that is when uh, he was meant to send in the dog and uh, the magistrate. didn't did, uh, take even five minutes to deal with Malarido because we are saying the measure is, uh, is something that we article um, Article 3. Article three which means that it is a very serious affair that cannot be dealt with the magistrate court. They don't have that jurisdiction. Only the High Court can deal with the bail application or even plea uh, for Mawarito. Therefore, Mawarito is now going to appear uh, in court a remand until the High Court takes him so that he pleads before the High Court says that he will
1: and were the people allowed inside the courtroom?
11: Quite a handful of people were allowed. Unfortunately, Zimbabwe lawyers for women's rights brought in all those lawyers uh, in support of Mawarire and in support of the lawyer who was actually uh, representing Mawarire Harrison in So you find that court in Zimbabwe they contain about 50 to 100 people It um, most. Some of them are defending. And the court was so full, because such an extent that point, ordinary supporters who want to give to you, the um, court could not be do that because the court was too small. So a number of people decided to outside, a, a number of um, diplomats also came in, they inside the court, but most of the people were outside. we were also allowed, but not all Some people uh, remained outside because the court was just too small.
1: What was the reason given for the charges to be changed from inciting violence to treason?
11: There was no reason for changing uh, the offense from that of inciting violence to treason. Uh, and this is the reason why the lawyer, Harrison Nkomo, uh, in his submission, started complaining that uh, the state was actually dealing with this motor uh, with dirty because they're actually sort of hiding behind the scene and without exposing it to exactly what they really want to do or what they are to. Because when we are sitting inside yesterday of, of the Harare uh, Central station, we charges to have that inciting violence. They, and that was the case until later, today in that family when we later appeared in court when the kids then came back and said, according to the evidence that they have, they now have instructions from above. Whoever is above giving that instruction, we don't know. So those are uh, the only reasons that we are given, that instructions from above received, should now face prison and not inciting public violence. Public violence, you can go up to two years. But the prison, you can go to life imprisonment, 20 years maximum, or even death sentence so this is the the, the the problem at the moment. A certain number of pastors, supporters, and people are worried that the state is not actually dealing with this matter in this
2: state.
1: And have we heard from his lawyer? How does he feel about this change?
11: Harris Sukomo is with us, and you think that he went to the high uh, court to make an application, for their application, so that Mawari uh, for now, is demanded outside uh, outside the court. Because um, the change uh, cannot be given bail by the Magistrate Court. Because the Magistrate Court in Zimbabwe does not have jurisdiction or power to give or grant bail to someone who's facing charges like treason uh, Because it's a fair of change uh, offense and it means magicists don't have power to give no matters. So only the High Court or even the...
1: Simon? Alright, we seem to have lost Simon Muchemwa there. Um, he was updating us on the court appearance of Pastor Evan Mawarire, who appeared in court in, in, in the Harare Magistrates Court today um, at about 3 p.m. At um local time there in Harare and what we are hearing is that the charges um, that he w- was initially charged with yesterday when he handed himself over to the police and there was the charge of inciting violence um, that charge has now been changed to a charge of a treason and what we are hearing from Simon Muchemwa there is that treason carries a maximum sentence of death now Pastor Ivan Marire is the man who has be, who was behind the social media campaign, hashtag this flag, he sparked conversation in Zimbabwe when he uh, he posted a video when he was talking about the Zimbabwean flag and what it actually now means for him and what it was supposed to mean and how it doesn't really represent what it initially represented. He then also called for Zimbabweans to have a stay away from work today. Um, and we do know that Zimbabweans had another stay away last week. He now has been been charged with treason, according to Simon Muchemwa there in Harare. Let's take a short break.
8: In 2009, the United Nations declared the 18th of July as Nelson Mandela Day. This is in recognition of the former South African president's contribution to the culture of peace and freedom for all. Channel Africa, celebrating Mandela
1: Man. It's time for your news headlines now with Asanda Matonyan.
2: Thank you, Spumelele. Good afternoon. Hafna Mosi, the head of Burundi, members of the East African Community Parliament, is killed by unknown armed men in the capital, Punjumbura. Zimbabwe's state prosecutor charges Pastor Evan Mawarire with attempting to overthrow the state via his internet video campaign. And Stop Hunger South Africa says 23 million primary school children in Africa go to school hungry, with 3 million living in South Africa. Those are your news headlines here on Channel Africa.
1: Your time is 17.31 Central African time. Now, Grosha Michelle, widow of struggle and global icon, Nelson Mandela has launched the Stop Hunger Now SA global event to distribute 3 million meals nationally and 10 million meals globally for Mandela Day. Michelle launched the event earlier today in Cape Town. The aim of the campaign is to stop hunger and malnutrition of children across the world. More from Sarah Khan, who is the CEO of Stop Hunger Now SA. Nonprofit organization that seeks to end hunger in South Africa through the implementation of a results-oriented nutrition program.
12: The first global event ever undertaken for International Mandela Day, and we are proud as Papangana Southern Africa to be the lead in this event. The reason we undertook it is because we felt Nelson Mandela was an internationally recognized icon, and we should actually take the lead and make it an international event. And we have the ability to do so because we are internationally linked. So last year, we actually said to them, this is what we're going to do, and let's call it Follow the Sun because we start in the east and we end in the west. We've got seven countries in involved and in South Africa alone we're going to be in several cities across South Africa so we'll be able to give a wide number of South Africans the opportunity to participate and really to live the legacy.
0: But the aim of the initiative is to stop hunger and malnutrition in children ac- across the world. Will this be a continued program or is it just for the Mandela Day? Well it's a
12: global challenge now and we're inviting corporates to participate now but yes this is what we do. Every day we are feeding thousands in fact millions if you look worldwide and you look at our figures, we're feeding millions of children and ensuring that they don't go hungry. As you know, hunger eradication is now number two on the sustainable development agenda and we're serious about eradicating hunger by the year 2030. In which countries will
0: this initiative reach? Will it reach the refugee camps around Africa?
12: Absolutely. All our meals go to predominantly Africa and Asia and Latin America, which are the most impoverished regions in the world. For example, Haiti just had a crisis just now, and Stop Hunger Now was involved in that. But yes, definitely, South African meals packed in South Africa remain in South Africa because I believe South Africa, despite it being a world-class country by many standards, we still have hunger. Over 54% of South Africans battle hunger every day. We will be running the events from Malaysia, Philippines, India, Italy, USA 20 states, Peru, and then of course here in South Africa. That's where South now has offices. We are even participating in China and Korea via our Malaysia branch. What would you say to people as we celebrate Mandela Day? I think the one thing that Mandela told us and that sticks in my mind is that the future is in our hands. And I think as ordinary South Africans there's a lot we can do. For example, we offer volunteering initiative where if you don't have the money but you have the time, you are welcome to come through to our various facilities in KwaZulu Natal, Cape Town and Johannesburg where you can actually package these meals because we often get sponsors who want to participate but they're not able to package the meals. So volunteer your time and I think what Nelson Mandela would want is that every South African take on a responsibility of being socially conscious and do something for the betterment of humankind.
1: And that is Saira Khan, the CEO of the Stop Hang and now South Africa, a non-profit organization, talking to Nosi <laughs>
9: Come and join Channel Africa and Radio 2000 as the two radio giants will be sharing the love this Mandela Day, 18th July.
0: Meet and share a moment with your favorite Channel African and Radio 2000 personalities as they devote their 67 minutes of community service.
9: They'll observe the Mandela Day by donating blankets and food parcels to the homeless
0: and the needy. Most importantly, this is taking place at the Jabbert Park in Johannesburg, Central Business District. Your two stations will also broadcast live from Jabert Park between 9 and 1500 hours Central African time.
9: Come join us
0: and share the love. This Mandela Day. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: 1735 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest. On Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. An ambitious strategy to end violence against children has been unveiled by the United Nations health experts. Launching the plan, the World Health Organization says that a new global approach is needed as it affects around 1 billion children every year. Despite the alarming data, WHO says that many cases of violence are hidden, unseen or underreported. Daniel Johnson has more.
4: Protection for children from violence already exists in international law. It's covered in the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Nonetheless, a recent study cited by World Health Organization, or WHO, indicated that up to one billion children experienced violence in 2015, physical, sexual or psychological. That's one in every two children. WHO's Dr Alex Butchart said that the problem is vast but unappreciated.
11: In referring to violence against children, we're talking about the kinds of violence that affect children most frequently in all countries. And this is interpersonal violence, not war, not collective violence, but
6: interpersonal violence.
4: Out of all those affected, one in four are victims of physical abuse, and one in five girls have experienced sexual abuse. In some parts of the world, murder is also the leading cause of death among teenagers... Exposure to violence at an early age can impair brain development and lead to lifelong physical and mental consequences which are a drain on public resources. Hence the call for a new approach unveiled by WHO along with nine other UN agencies and partners. Just as important is the wish to support the Sustainable Development Goals and their call to eliminate abuse and violence against children. Here's Dr Alex Buchat again.
11: Exposure to violence in childhood can lead to and leads very significantly to increases in alcohol and drug abuse, smoking and unsafe sex, for instance, having multiple sex partners, all of which puts these children at much greater risk later on of developing stroke,
4: cancer, diabetes, liver disease, HIV, AIDS and so forth. The aim of the new WHO-led strategy is to encourage authorities and communities to take inspiration from tried and tested measures already in place around the world. Some of the policies offer legal solutions to preventing violence against children, such as tougher firearms controls in South Africa. This is estimated to have saved thousands of young lives. Other initiatives are more creative, like those promoting practical parenting in Kenya, Liberia and Myanmar. In Zambia too, a new low-cost counselling strategy has been shown to reduce trauma symptoms in child victims of violence up to four times more than standard methods. Being able to demonstrate such savings is going to be crucial, WHO says, if its ambitious violence cutting strategy is to be implemented across health, social welfare, finance, and justice sectors in countries rich and poor. Daniel Johnson, United Nations, Geneva.
1: The countdown towards the 21st International AIDS Conference, scheduled for South Africa's port city of Durban next Monday, has started. The launch after the countdown took place at the Gorsi's Haven, an orphanage in Johannesburg that looks after mothers and children living with HIV and AIDS. More than 18,000 delegates, comprising the world's top scientists, civil society members and policymakers from 180 countries, are expected to convene for the summit to discuss the fight against HIV and AIDS. Elizabeth Lidika reports.
7: The Ngosi's Haven is named after 12-year-old Ngosi Johnson, one of the youngest victims of the HIV epidemic who addressed the International AIDS Conference held in Durban in the year 2000 and died a year later from the disease. The Haven was founded by his adoptive mother, Gail Johnson, with the objective of providing a safe and nurturing home environment for mothers, children and orphans left destitute by HIV-AIDS. She takes us down memory lane. It's
3: almost like it was yesterday i remember when we were packing our suitcases to go down to durban i said to course you know please just stand in front of the mirror and show me how you're going to present." and he only got about as far as three paragraphs and he went blank i said you committed sweetheart you promised so you've now got to put that whole speech together because I screwed up his train of thought when I put it into chronological order. You know, he had dictated it to me. So then when we got to the stadium the next day, he nearly pooped himself because he said to me, this is a big one, mommy. I said, I warned you. I told you that it wasn't a school hall. And then I spent two days going through the speech with him and then he was just so cool and then of course when he got through it he got that standing ovation i couldn't have been prouder
7: johnson is concerned that young people continue to die from the disease despite the progress made
3: from a treatment point of view it's chalk and cheese we are still having two and a half thousand infections a week and particularly around our young women which is is rather scary You know, that, and that shouldn't be happening because there is a high level of awareness. And I don't know whether people feel, well, there's now medication. I don't have to worry. I don't know what it is. So, yes, strides, phenomenal strides have been taken. The prevention of mother to child transmission campaign, to me, has been the most successful.
7: The South Africa that hosts the Global AIDS Conference next week has come a long way from what it was 16 years ago when then-President Tabombeki stunningly dismissed the link between HIV and the disease. The epidemic robbed many families of breadwinners, created an army of orphans, and struck down scores of people in the prime of their waking lives. Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa admits the government has let down people living with HIV before.
6: Whereas in the year 2000, we were all over the place and not providing the care, the love, to people who are suffering with HIV-AIDS and today, largely also because of the call that he made, we now have 3.4 million people under treatment taking antiretrovirals. And this is real progress. This is real heeding the call that was made by Ngosi Johnson. So it is for this reason that we felt that we should come here, come here to remember this young man, to pay tribute to him, to honor him, and to basically say to him, We heeded your call, we heeded your message, and today this government is saving lives.
7: However, since then, South Africa has done much to tackle HIV rolling out the world's largest treatment program to its citizens and improving primary health care. Ramaphosa says the goal is to now achieve an HIV-free generation, which he says is possible.
6: Our aim is to have an AIDS-free generation, and we are hopeful and we are determined that we will achieve an AIDS-free generation. But we will only be able to do so if we all pull together. And there is unity in action and in purpose.
7: South Africa will use next week's conference to share its lessons with the international community about how it's currently implementing the largest ARV program in the world with 3.4 million people on treatment. Health Minister Dr. Aaron Mutualedi says among the many strides the country will share with the world is how it has charted a significant decline in mother-to-child HIV transmission from 70,000 in the year 2004 to just below 6,000 today.
8: I've got statistics about mother-to-child transmission. I know that by 2004 in this country, 70,000 children were born HIV-positive on an annual basis. But because of the success of the PMTCT program, prevention of mother-to-child transmission, the figure is now below 6,000. Cuba is the first country that was given a certificate by the World Health Organization last year that they've brought an end to -to mother-to-child transmission of HIV. Yes, Thailand is the second country, Moldova, and I think Belarus. And four weeks ago, when we were at the United Nations, there were whispers in the passages that they want South Africa to be the first country on the continent to get that certificate.
7: Motzoledi adds, though, that South Africans have a role to play in this battle.
8: Our biggest problem, which we want the whole country to help us solve, will mothers who are HIV-positive know to come and test on time? And start treatment before 14 weeks so that the child can be free of HIV and AIDS. That's our biggest challenge, which is a societal challenge, but you are going to win.
7: Like many, the South African government says it's confident the gathering will bring about meaningful global solutions towards fighting HIV/AIDS. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Elizabeth Lidera in Johannesburg.
1: All right, on Twitter, remember that you can find us on Channel Africa One. Um, Charge, the new charge against the pastor, even Marire, in Zimbabwe seems to be garnering a lot of conversation on the Channel Africa Twitter account. And we will be looking into that charge for you because you are getting people like Tichauna uh, Makonese who says, no, it's not treason. Treason is covered under a different section in the legislation. So we will be trying to find out what the new charge actually is and what it means. Um, as Simon Muchema said, the new charge, um, equals to treason. And I guess that's what um, a lot of um, people are responding to there on the social media. Um, it's time now for your Economic News with Wissani Mathebula.
13: Thanks, Pumelere Kenyan Airways will resume flying to South Sudanese capital Juba on Thursday after ceasefire between the factions halted heavy fighting that had forced it to cancel flights on Sunday. Kenyan Airways says it will avail a larger capacity aircraft B737-800 to accommodate more guests and clear the backlog that has been created by suspending flights since Sunday last week. And ALTX Africa has launched a new financial exchange in Uganda that will allow investors to trade in small lots, boosting access to financial markets. There are 30,000 securities trading accounts in the East African nation of 35 million people. Analysts estimate a potential for 5 million more accounts. ALTX Africa is owned by a holding company registered in Mauritius. Uganda already has a fully-fledged financial market, the Ugandan Securities Exchange, which has several listed firms. And South African retail sales remain resilient amid tough economic conditions. Sales were up 4.5% year-on-year in May, after expanding by a revised 1.6% in April. Data from Statistics South Africa shows that on a month-on-month basis, retail sales rose by 3-4% three point four percent, which is its highest level on a quarterly basis since twenty twelve. It seems economists more bearish sentiments have thus far been found to be wanting. But economist Yana van Defenter says today's figure might be an outlier.
12: We were definitely caught off guard by the latest Retail Sales number. And even though it's a welcome surprise, we are still quite skeptical about the sustainability of this strong growth rate. The latest number is perhaps an anomaly for whatever reason. And we do expect that, particularly for the month-on-month number in June, to come in quite soft relative to what we have seen in May.
13: South African retailer Steinhoff has agreed to pay nearly 800 million US dollars for the British-based discount chain Poundland after two previous attempts to expand in Europe fell through this year. The 23 billion dollar company which sells beds and uh, cupboards to less affluent shoppers in Europe, Southern Africa and Asia is keen to grow its European business when consumers are turning to cheaper chains and its home market is also struggling. Steinhoff already owns uh, the Benson's Bed, and they uh, have these furniture chains in Britain. And Ghana's annual consumer price inflation fell to 18.4% in June from 18.9% in May. The West African nation is, is implementing a three-year aid program with the IMF to remedy fiscal problems, including inflation persistently above government targets. Financial indicators now: the dollar 14.35 to the South African rand 10.64 Botswana pula and 10.36 Zambit Gwacha, also trading at 0.76 to the British pound and 0.90 against the euro. Commodities: gold 1,337 dollars, uh, platinum 1,088 dollars per fine ounce, Brent crude oil hovering at 47.95 dollars 95 per barrel. And that's your economics news.
1: It's time for your sports news now with Neto Chamane.
14: Good evening, sport fans. With your latest sport news at this hour, I'm Neto NETO Chamane. Ladies' European Tour's chief executive Ivan Kodabaksh has hit out at the likes of four-time major winner Rory McIlroy and world number one Jason Day over their decision not to play in Brazil when golf returns for the first time in over 100 years. McIlroy and Dayne head a growing list of over 20 golfers who have already pulled out of the tournament, citing health concerns from the mosquito-borne Zika virus, which can cause birth defects in infants. The top male golfers have let down the rest of the sport very badly said Kobagdash. The opportunity to do something for the broader good of the game is in their hands and they seem to be taking a very myopic approach. Brazil is a country of 200 million people in which fewer than 20,000 are registered golfers. The impact of the Olympics on those type of numbers across the world is part of the reason that golf is a success as an Olympic sport this summer. Peter Musimane, the head coach of Mamilodi Sundowns, is leaving the country tonight for Cairo with his soldiers for Sunday's CAF Champions League match against Zamalek. Sundowns are gunning for nothing else but maximum points to put one leg in the semi-finals. If they achieve their goal, Pizzo Musimani charges will need a draw in their last two remaining matches to claim a spot in the semi-finals. Despite the star duo of Pilliat and Keegan Dolly and skipper Tabontete suspicious due to illness and injuries, Musimani says nothing will stop his team from topping Group B on Sunday night.
8: They've changed the coach. They had the, they had the Scottish Alex McLeish and then he's a local coach now uh, but the same, the game of the, the, the tactics are the same they haven't changed there was games of uh, Alex Miklis and there was the game of the local coach they still play in the same way yeah no typical North, Amer- North Africans typical a game of Satif uh, avoid set pieces uh, big boys you know they're big all the time and uh, they've got a proper technique you know they deliver the ball yet. look at the games we played Satif they the delivery of the free kicks in the box, they delivered well. The corner kicks are all perfect and they've got the height. We've got to be on top of our game on that and stop making uh, 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 silly mistakes.
14: Roxanne Barker, the goalkeeper of South Africa's senior national women's soccer team, Banyana Banyana is eyeing a move to bigger European leagues to further his career. The shortstopper produced a sublime performance during Banyana Banyana's tour of Netherlands, where one of the local teams offered her a contract. She also put a sterling performance in the recent match against the USA last Saturday in Chicago, where they lost to the reigning Olympics and world champions by an old gold. Baka sheds more light on where she would like to see herself in the near future. Well, I was in Iceland and I decided I wanted to be somewhere more central in Europe because it's quite far away from other countries. And I felt I would get seen more by um, by top teams if I moved closer into Europe. So my ultimate goal, I think, is maybe Germany or France. I think those are some top women's soccer countries. But I'm I'm so happy to be playing in the, in the Netherlands and also just getting a chance to travel a bit. Still in football, Sam Allardyce looks to be in pole position to become the next England manager after his club Sunderland revealed on Wednesday that they granted his request permission to speak to the football association. The 61-year-old Englishman, who was interviewed for the England job 10 years ago but lost out to Steve McLaren, spoke with the three-man FA panel on Tuesday about succeeding Roy Hodgson, who resigned after England were beaten by Iceland in the Euro 2016 last 16 clash. Sunderland, who Allardyce saved, from relegation last time, made it clear that they wish the situation to be resolved as quickly as possible so they can prepare for another tough campaign in the Premier League. The job for the Zambia senior national men's soccer team coach will stay open until next week. This after Football Association of Zambia FAS postponed the Tuesday scheduled interviews. FAS Secretary-General Liwewe says they have shortlisted potential candidates for the position but will have to tie up all the loose ends during the upcoming weekend meeting. Our Zambian correspondent now what
5: is happening at the football association? It's yes, not about the interview. Uh, we were told yesterday, I managed actually you not know, to call Pongari one way. He categorically told me that uh, yesterday they were supposed to have shortlisted four applicants out of 21 of those guys who have applied the, for the vacant job of the Zambia Association. Uh, but that process of shortlisting has been pushed not Saturday when the uh, FALC of their meeting. Uh, he said it is in that meeting that they you will know, push the issue of, of this expatriate coach.
14: Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: Your time is 1756 Central African Time Literature, about top stories. Hundreds of supporters gather outside the Harare Magistrates Court today for Pastor Ivan Marire's appearance head of Burundi members of the East African Community Parliament assassinated in Buchumbura. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. For myself, Sukumala producer Luanda Mahomet technical producer Revilino Ibrahim and the rest of the team, thank you very much for listening. You can send us emails. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za info at channelafrica.co.za and SMS 1 plus 27823325905. You can find us on channelafrica1 on Twitter. We Leave you with "Jamu Africa by Ishmael
15: be better. <laughs> Ici ou d'ailleurs, nous sommes des enfants d'afrique. Même si le ciel tombe, lutton pour la paix. Kondjamu Afrika, m'mlaigna, mane jamu Afrika, moye sunyona dange. Africa. Ici ou ailleurs, la paix crie du bonheur. Même si le ciel pleurait, maneja África, hoy sueño nada, Ángeles